Well, let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to Psalm 6. Psalm 6. We often think of the Psalms as songs and praise, but they're also a place where we can go and learn about prayer. Now, we often think of Paul's prayers, and we've gone to different places, even in Thessalonians, where Paul has prayed for the Thessalonians, and we have seen what is on Paul's heart as he prays for the New Testament church. But here in Psalm 6, we're going to see another kind of prayer. A specific prayer, a heavy prayer. A prayer of someone who has sorrow. A prayer of tears. Someone who is crushed underneath his sin and God's chastisement. And he cries out to God. And so this morning as we go to Psalm 6, listen to David as he prays. Listen to him as he raises his voice to God for deliverance from his chastisement and sin. Psalm 6. For the choir director with string instruments upon an eight-string lyre, a psalm of David. David cries, O Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger, nor chasten me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am pining away. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are dismayed. And my soul is greatly dismayed. But you, O Lord, how long? Return, O Lord, rescue my soul. Save me because of your loving kindness. For there is no mention of you in death. In Sheol, who will give you thanks? I am weary with my sighing. Every night I make my bed swim. I dissolve my couch with my tears. My eye has wasted away with grief. It has become old because of my adversaries. Depart from me, all you who do iniquity. For the Lord has heard the voice of my weeping. The Lord has heard my supplication. The Lord receives my prayer. All my enemies will be ashamed and greatly dismayed. They shall turn back. They will suddenly be ashamed. Let's go to the Lord in prayer before we go through the word of God this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We again thank you for its instruction. And again, I pray this morning that we would learn from your word. We would learn from this prayer from David that we would turn to you when we are chastened by you, knowing that you are a good and loving God. And so I pray that you would use your word to encourage us here this morning, I pray in your name. Amen. Well, this psalm here gives voice to sadness over sin. In fact, it it gives sadness and a a voice to those who are being chastened by the Lord because of their sin. We, last time we were in the Psalms, we looked at a prayer in Psalm 5, and it was really a cry for God to help against his enemies, against those outside of him. But here David now is crying out from a troubled heart. He's crying out from inside, And he is giving voice to his sorrow over sin. This psalm has been classified by the church as a penitential psalm. 
It's a psalm which turns to God for forgiveness. It's where the person cries out to God for forgiveness of sins. There are seven of these psalms in in the book of Psalms, Psalm 32, 38, 51, 102, 130, and 143, if you're fast with your pen. (laughs) But this is the first of those psalms, and this psalm here is, again, a cry to God that he would forgive. So this one begins these psalms, and it gives voice to a person who is in prayer, who is, who is crying out to God and coming because he recognized the discipline of God on his life because of sin. And though David does not in this psalm, like he does in other psalms, articulate a confession, there's the idea that there's guilt here. And we, are, we see that in Psalm 6 that he, David faces the wrath and anger of God and he asks God to what? Temper his discipline. And so David cries out. He cries out and prays to God. But it's hard. It's a hard prayer. It's a hard prayer when you're broken. It's hard to pray when, when life is difficult. It's hard to pray when sin has caused sorrow. When sin has brought difficulty into your life. But this prayer is really a prayer for all of us who have felt that way, who have felt that God is distant, who has felt that God is disciplining them, who has felt apart from God, has felt sorrow in life. We know that all sin brings sorrow, that sin brings sorrow, and that not necessarily all sorrow is brought by personal sin, but we live in a sinful world that brings sorrow. As one writer said, have you ever wept so hard that you thought your tears would never stop? Have you ever wept so hard over your sin that you thought your, sin, your tears would never stop? Have you ever been so overwhelmed, as David says, that your very bones hurt? If you have, then you felt repentance. Maybe you remember that time in your life where you were overwhelmed by your sin as you turned to God and you saw it for the first time. But that should not end just at salvation. It should be the experience of the believer as God reveals our sin. We could ask the question, if you've never felt that way, have you ever actually repented? Have you actually ever repented? Have you actually repented of your sin? Because if you have, you can identify with David. You can identify with that sin and that sorrow over sin. And so David, in this psalm, pleads with the Lord to relieve his chastening. For he knows that his sin is the cause of this. He knows that the Lord has to deal with him. He knows that the fact that his enemies are coming after him is a result of his own sin and he deserves it. And so this prayer is really a prayer for all of us who are Christians. 
for all of us who have undergone the chastening of God, for all of us who have felt that God is, is far off from us. And again, as we read in Hebrews chapter 12, that is the experience of the believer, is it not? God disciplines those who he loves. And in fact, this is a mark of sonship. This is a mark of being a believer. If you've never been chastened by the Lord, you need to ask, am I a believer? Because God is a loving father who what? Disciplines his children. And so it is a reminder to us that what? We're not home yet. That God is still working on us. We're not done And so we need to pray in these circumstances. We need to learn to pray like David. If this is related to Psalm 3, and some people believe it is, this is related to Absalom coming after David. And David knows that, it is, that his trouble with Absalom is not just because he's a bad father, but because of his sin with Bathsheba. And God, through the prophet, told David that he would have trouble in his house because of his sin. But if it's not, if it's one of the other sins, and David had many recorded on the pages of Scripture, here again is that penitence that he comes, seeking relief from God who is afflicting him. And so we need to make this our prayer. We need to learn to pray as David and make David's prayer ours. And so as we look at this prayer this morning, we're going to see it in three parts. We're going to see three parts of this prayer. We're going to see the agony of sin. The agony of sin. Then we're going to see the appeal for mercy. And lastly, we're going to see the triumphal response to God's forgiveness. So David begins, and we really see the agony of sin. We see someone who's under the chastisement of God, and he's crying out. And David begins this psalm with, O Lord, Yahweh. And he uses the covenant name of God and he cries out to God because he knows this is where he needs to go. This is where he needs to turn for the chastisement to be taken away. He knows that it is God who is ultimately bringing the chastisement on him. Therefore, he knows he needs to go to God. And he says, Yahweh, do not rebuke me in your wrath. He asked God's, that God's chastening be mediated. He asked that God not give him all the chastening that he deserves. David knows he's a wise man and he, know, he had taught his son the importance of repentance and the importance of discipline. That's why Solomon wrote in the Proverbs about the importance of a father disciplining his children. David taught his son. And if it's true of earthly fathers, how much more true is it of our heavenly father? Now notice this, and I want you to notice this because I missed this at first because I'm a little slow. But David does not say, Lord, remove discipline from me. He does not say, Lord, stop it all. Stop it right now. 
But what does he do say? Do not rebuke me in your anger, nor chasten me in your wrath. There's a qualification here. In other words, David knows that he deserves God's divine chastement. He knows that there is sin in his life. And yet, David says, Lord, don't rebuke me in your anger. He kind of uses Hebrew parallelism here. Two phrases meaning the same thing. Anger and wrath. If you want to differentiate, the first one kind of refers to your nostrils, you know, when you get angry, like a horse when it snorts. He says that, that, that's anger. And wrath is just settled wrath. And God's wrath against us is not like our wrath. We tend to fly off over some illogical thing, but God has a, is not like that. He has a settled wrath against and hatred of sin. And here, it's a passionate rage, a deep, justifiable anger against the sin of his children, an anger that burns in the Lord when his children disobey and will not be obedient to what he has commanded against their sin. And we know that in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, right? When we take communion, we talk about some are weak, some are sick, and some what? Asleep. God takes them home because of their sin. And so there's a real danger, we would say, even that as being under God's chastisement, that God has the right and very well may take you home. He can do that, and he will do that at his choosing. Now, it's interesting because the words rebuke and chasten are always used in Scripture for, for the corrective measure taken in a relationship. So what does that mean? simply means it's, it's never used, it's used in the relationship of a parent to children or a father training his son. It's never used of eternal damnation, but it's described of the, of the discipline of a father to a son. Parent to child. And so David knows this and he appeals to God to temper his, chase, his chastisement. David knows he has a wrath problem. David doesn't want God to chasten him with his full unbridled anger. That's what he's saying. Lord, I deserve it, but could you just not take all your wrath out of me? Could you just temper it a little bit? so that I don't have to face everything, all the punishment. And again, David wouldn't dare say, don't discipline me, because he knows that's God's responsibility as his father. Have you ever thought of it that way? It's actually God's responsibility as your heavenly father to discipline you when you're, when you're disobedient. Now, that's kind of a different view of God than we normally get. We, we think that he's this genie in a bottle that's there for us and for every, give us everything that we want, and he just wants to pinch our cheeks and tell us we're okay. But that's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible actually, what, disciplines his children. That's what a, a father does, and that's what our Heavenly Father will do. In fact, it's evidence that God cares for him. If God cares for you, he will discipline you. 
it means that if God is disciplining you, it means he hasn't cut you off. Think about that. It means he hasn't cut you off. And so David says, O Lord, in, he says, O Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger nor chasten me in your wrath. Mitigate it. Please be merciful. Don't take all of the punishment I deserve. Don't be unbridled in your anger. David says, the reason I need you to mitigate it is simply, verse 2, be gracious to me, O Lord, for what? I am pining away. I am pining away. I am literally, this is a word that is used as a picture of grass that dies in a drought. And it means, David is, he says, I'm sick, I'm weak, I'm frail, physically, emotionally. He says, be gracious to me. Grant me favor that is undeserved. David now appeals to God for his graciousness. Oh, he says, be gracious. Give me undeserved favor. I am pining away. And then he just cries out in this, in this second line. Heal me, O Lord. Heal me. Again, he uses a figure of speech here that substitutes one thing for another. And therefore, he describes... The description, David certainly needed healing, but this word is used for more for spiritual as well as physical healing. Sometimes it was used to speak of uplifting depressed or low spirits. So it is possible that Dave actually, David actually means both physically heal me, but at the same time heal my spirit inside me. And so David is, is crying out, heal me, I need healing. And we know that what affects us in our spirit affects us in our physical bodies. And David just says, heal me, God. I need help. I need help. He says, my bones are dismayed. Now, we don't use that term very often. In fact, I bet you didn't, haven't used it this week. But this term here, this, this word dismayed, literally means terrified. I am terrified in my bones. It means he was troubled in his bones. So at the very core of his bodily structure, both spiritually and physically, he's in distress. He's already in a physical weak condition, but he's also saying he's emotionally spent. And David's very vitality is being drained from him because of the chastisement and the weight of his sin. Fear shakes him down to the very core because he knows he's under the chastisement of God and God has every right to take his life. He continues in verse 6, 3, in verse 3, and my soul is greatly dismayed. David knows that his sin is caught up with him. Again, this same word, dismayed, he's terrified. He's questioning the Lord and asking him, are you finished? How long, O Lord? It seems almost like you shouldn't ask that question, right? Because he knows he deserves it. And yet David says, how long? But you, O Lord, how long? There's anguish here. 
It's existed for a long, it's existed for a period of time and he's seeking relief from it. And he seeks comfort from God. And it's so personal for David. This, this, this time of suffering, we see me, my, I. It's a personal suffering. It's very instructive to us that David recognizes that it is God's anger and it's out of his chasing that's causing his anguish and he turns to him in relief. And so he recognizes and there's almost a cry of hope here because he says, how long? In other words, David recognizes that there's still a bit of hope here. How long, O Lord? In other words, David still recognizes that God could withdraw his chastisement. And so David is sitting under the anguish of this sin, this unconfessed sin that he has laid out. And he is recognizing what his sin has cost him. And he has turned to the only place that he knows that God is is the one who is inflicting the chastisement. Therefore, he is the one who can take it away. So we turn to God for, for relief in our, in our chastening. And that's exactly what David was doing. In fact, he says in Isaiah 19, verse 22, The Lord will strike Egypt, strike but healing, so they will return to the Lord and he will respond to them and will heal them. God is a striking and healing God. And the one who strikes is the one that heals. And David recognizes his need. And David comes in agony to God under the chastisement for God and cries for mercy because he recognizes this is where he needs to go. Well, after coming and recognizing his need to come to God and the agony that sin brings, and I think as we look at our lives, there have been times where we can relate to David, where our strength is taken, where we are miserable. Have you ever been under the, the pressure of sin and you confess it? And it's like, whoa, the world is different, right? But if you're a believer, there's going to be times where you're going to feel the, the pressure of your sin upon you. And you must recognize that you must turn to the one who what? Strikes, because he's the one who can forgive. So David then not only sees the agony of sin, but he now appeals for forgiveness. And it's interesting because David now, as he turns to verse 4, starts to give us reasons why, why God should forgive him, why God should have mercy on him, why God should relent from the chastisement. And it's interesting because he comes with what we would call doctrine. 
those dry old things like theology because he recognizes that prayer is based upon what? Doctrine and truth. You don't empty your mind when you come to pray. You come, you come with what? The Word of God. You come armed with truth. You come with God's Word in your mind. How do you know what to pray for unless you're informed by the Word of God? And David now appeals to God on the basis of who God is. He now appeals to him with a theological understanding of God's character. And God, he knows that God what answers those kind of prayers because God is consistent with who he is. And so David says in verse 4, Return, O Lord, rescue my soul. Save me because of what? Your loving kindness. And so his first reason, his first appeal is to what? To God's loving kindness. He says, based on your loving kindness, based on your, your covenant love, this love that you have put upon me, because I am one of yours, I am the king that you have appointed, I am one of your children. He says, I appeal to you on that basis. And he says, return, O Lord. And the idea here is that God has taken his fellowshipping presence away from David because of sin. He no longer has God's approval on his life. He no longer has God's empowering in his life. And so David says, return, O Lord. Rescue my soul. Deliver me. Save me from ruin and destruction or harm. And David knows that if God is not the one to rescue him, that he will be ruined, that he will, he will ultimately die. Save is an, old, is an Old Testament terminology for both physical and spiritual salvation. And David puts us in the imperative voice. In other words, he's, it, it's, it's used as a request to a superior. But the idea is the Lord needs to answer his prayer. He, he, it's a cry for immediate response for God. He needs immediate rescue. And again, David's view of God is radically different than ours. He recognizes God has every right to punish him. Every right to chastise him. But David says, but remember your covenant love. Remember that love that you set upon me. A love for your people. An affection for them. An affection that's put in promise. And so he appeals to the character of God who made the promise to David. Remember David in 2 Samuel 7 ultimately was given the co a covenant for his kingship. And he... David now appeals to that covenant-keeping God and says, remember your promises to your children. And David says, ultimately, God, the promise of your loyal love will fall in disrepute if you don't rescue me. In other words, you've promised to put your love and favor upon me, and when I come in repentance, what? Remember your love. Remember that you promised to put your love upon me. Don't allow your name to be disrespected among those who know that you have covenanted with me. 
Oh, believer, isn't that good news? You are partakers of the new covenant in Christ's blood. You have that same love upon you, that saving love, that enduring love, that keeping love that you cannot lose. And when we ask for forgiveness, he will forgive. Because he's a covenant-keeping God who promised to forgive our sins in Jesus Christ. Well, David's not done. He's going to stack another one on here, and he's really going to say, not only do I appeal to your loving kindness, but I appeal to your glory. I appeal to your glory because you deserve honor and praise. And so David says, For there is no mention of you in death. In Sheol, you, who will give you thanks? No mention or remembrance. And again, some, some translations say remembrance. It's not a memory of recall, but this is a word of expression of recalling and reciting God's work and worth in worship. It's about expressing praise and worship to God. And, and this is really David's argument. It's a really simple argument, and, and it's one I might use. He says this, If I die, so will the praise and worship on this earth that will be given to you and that you deserve to have. Now, some of you and some of the theologians are going to sit back and say, well, David doesn't believe in the afterlife. That's just simply not true. There's so much evidence in the Psalms as David looked forward to the resurrection, as he looked forward to seeing his child that had died in Bathsheba in the grave. In other words, he knew that there was an existence after death. But David knows that God desires worship from his people, that God desires to be praised and glorified. One theologian said, the righteous man knows well the fact that God will answer prayer so that his people will proclaim his glory through what? Public praise. And God des desires praise. He desires honor and glory. And David says, who will do that? Everything that has been done on earth will cease. I am, I am the king of Israel. I am the leading, as you know, this psalm is a psalm for, the, for public worship. And he says, I am leading the people of Israel to worship you. And if I don't survive, and if I don't get re restored, guess what? The praise that was available to you will cease here on earth. And I am not just praising for myself. I am leading others in worship to you. So David says, if I'm placed in the grave, what Sheol means, who will give you thanks? There will be no one to give you thanks. And really, what a proper prayer for the Christian. Isn't this what we should be living for? David roots his argument in the purpose of his life. His purpose of his life is to what? To praise God and to worship him. And David says, Lord, 
Spare me because what? This is why you should take your chastisement off me so that I can continue to demonstrate your praise and worship on the earth as we were created to do. David recognizes here that death is an enemy. We often say to ourselves, well, if I'm a Christian, to be dead is better, right? I'll I'll get perfect worship there. But we must never forget that what? Death is our enemy. Death is not natural. Sorrow is not natural. Sin is not natural. We were not created for those things. And we can never pretend that death is our friend. It's the last thing that the Lord Jesus Christ will vanquish. And we must remember, it is still our enemy. And so maybe we could say like Paul in Philippians, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain, right? But I'm going to remain, for your sake, what? I remain. And David is almost saying that to God, for me to remain is better because now I can cause worship not just of myself, but of all of those who follow in public worship. And so David wants to live another day so that he might praise. He does not want to be removed from the fellowship that he experienced as he calls the nation. And how much more should we as believers desire to come together to worship and praise our living God? If you want a reason to live, if you want a purpose in life, how much greater can it be than to live for the praise and the glory of our God? David understood this. And David reasons with God. He appeals to God. Let me live that I might praise you. Well, David's got one more, and we could really say, uh, my sorrow. Help me because of my sorrow. Now follow with me. He's expressing deep pain. And in this, if he's expressing his pain to God, and as he, as he cries out about the, the trouble that has been brought upon him, There's a part of David has the expectation that God cares. In other words, why tell God all about his problems if God doesn't care? In other words, David, in essence, is appealing to God's compassion. And he appeals to God's compassion for him. And he says, look what has happened. Look at what their chastisement is doing to them. I am weary with sighing. I've sighed so many times my sides are are sore and I've exhausted myself. Every night I make my bed swim. I dissolve my couch with tears. Just so you know, they didn't have dissolvable couches. But his, the idea here is what? His, he is in complete and utter sorrow. He is weeping. He is crying. The word weary means to, to be worn out, tired, extreme fatigue. It can refer either to physical or emotional exhaustion or both. And probably both here. Emotional exhaustion was especially taxing on David because God had been silent for such a long time. 
This prolonged silence was seen by David as part of the divine discipline. When it seems that God is distanced in your life for no good reason, he is, he is probably withdrawn from you. In other words, there are times in our lives where we think that God is not near us. It may well be that God is what? Disciplining us. And I just wanted to say this. We often think that discomfort is, in, is not where it should be. But the Christian life is full of sorrow and joy. And we must recognize that our greatest spiritual growth comes not when things are good, but when things are difficult. And God chastens you not because he's angry and wants to hurt you, but he disciplines you like a father because it is good for you. And he disciplines you so that you are sanctified. He disciplines you so that you are righteous. He disciplines you so that you are Christ-like. And there may be times like David where he says how long and where he's been under this for a long time. And you must recognize that sometimes God, when we, when we are crying out for help, that God is leaving you there in order for you to actually be sanctified and grow in Christ-likeness and turn to him in a way that you never would when times were good. And don't be discouraged when God seems far away and it seems like things are difficult. Those are, it hurts. It's not comfortable, but you can think of those or those are the avenues where God will grow me. And there should be an excitement when James says, count it all joy when you encounter various trials. What? Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let, its, let endurance have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Take that mindset and recognize here, it, the pain hurts. But this is the opportunity to grow in endurance and trust in God and ultimately to grow to spiritual maturity. So David says, every day I make my bed swim. I dissolve my couch in tears. This is not some psychological problem. This is not some physical problem. This is David's brain doing exactly what brain, his brain and body should do with the information that he has because he knows that God has brought this upon him. This is a spiritual thing. And so he appeals to God, a compassionate God, from a place of tears. He says, my eyes have wasted away from, gr from grief. It's become old because of my adversary. Now David takes the description of his agony one step further. The eye was the perfect measurement of intense grief. The ancient Hebrew, the eye always represented the general condition of a person. And David's eye were to represent what was happening to his whole body. The fact that his eyes kept pouring out tears indicated that his whole body was in anguish. And it represented his whole body. His whole body was affected and his eyes became old. Maybe they were because of David's sin, his eyes and his crying that ultimately his eyes looked old, puffy bags from crying. David says, this is what's happened to me. He says, because of my adversaries. In other words, 
David recognizes that the trouble that he is having with his adversaries is a direct result of God allowing his enemies to persecute him and to, and to cause suffering. In other words, his, David had sinned and he's being chastised, but it appears that his adversaries had piled on. They were rejoicing in his demise and they only made his suffering even worse. And so David is at this point where he has appealed to God and he says, I, I've appealed to your loving kindness. I've appealed to your love. I've appealed to your compassion. And he says, this is why I want you to forgive me. I want, this is why I want you to lift your chastisement from me for your glory. Well, David now makes a switch and this psalm turns on its head. If you'll look at what happens, you will see that David now has a triumphant response. And if you look between verses 8, 7 and 8, there's really nothing that takes place. But read with me verses 8 to 10. Depart from me, all you who do iniquity, for the Lord has heard the voice of my weeping. The Lord has heard my supplication. The Lord receives my prayer. All my enemies will be ashamed and greatly dismayed. They shall turn back. They will suddenly be ashamed. David says, I was crushed, I was dismayed, I was terrified, but now what? Now my enemies need to be. Now my enemies need to be afraid. And David says, the Lord will listen to the cries of his children, even if they are being disciplined by him. And here's good news. David knows that the Lord will hear his cry as he comes in repentance. Jeremiah says, in, Jeremiah, in Lamentations 3, For the Lord will not reject forever, for he causes grief, then he will have compassion, according to his what? Abundant loving kindness. David got it right. For he does not afflict willingly or grieve the sons of men. And so David cries out, and he knows that the Lord will hear him. The Lord has heard the voice of my weeping, the voice of my weeping. It's interesting, the voice of weeping, what does that sound like? It's pretty much universal, isn't it? You don't need to learn a language to know when people are weeping. And God has heard his voice. Recognize that God, there's a time where God will remove his hand of affliction from his children. And that is one of our hopes as we pray to God, as we reach out to him, as we come in our sorrow, as we come in that chastisement, that God will hear us and he will ultimately remove that chastisement. There's a promise for believers in verses 8 and 9, where David addresses his 
persecutors directly. To warn them that they are the ones who are now in mortal danger. The Lord has heard his cries for mercy and grace and relented from his correction. The Lord has brought an end to his chastening. Confession of sin has been heard and the Lord has forgiven him and turned his pleasure upon David. This is what's taking place. David has cried out. He's cried out for mercy. And in that implicit cry for mercy and, and cause, calling God and appealing to him to forgive him, there's the implication that David has confessed his sin to God and that he has repented. And so David now is under the pleasure of God and David knows the lesson and does not forget the Lord's willingness to forgive. In fact, in Psalm 86, 5, David writes, For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in loving kindness to all who call upon you. And again, that little phrase, to call upon you, all who, to all who call upon you, is a Hebraism for what? Repentance. To call upon the Lord means to repent. And those who call upon the, the Lord will ultimately receive forgiveness in his loving kindness. And so remember, God is always ready to forgive his children when they repent and confess their sin. It is God's nature. He hears the voice of our weeping. He sees our tears. And he responds. And David warns his oppressors because the Lord has turned back to David and against his oppressors. The Lord has heard his weeping. And then reinforcing and repeated in verse 9, again, David says, the Lord has heard his prayer. In other words, he has heard it in the past with continuing results. And he takes it a step further. And it says, Yahweh accepts and what receives his prayer. It means he is receiving and will continue to receive his prayer. Why? Because David's been fully repentant. And because David's repentant, God will receive his prayer and continue to hear his cry. Now David closes out this psalm in verse 10. The punishment for the oppressor. In verse 10, David confidently states that his oppressors will be put to shame. In other words, David's sin was not against his oppressors. His sin was against God. He did not owe anything to his enemies and oppressors. David owed his forgiveness, his repentance to God, not to his inflictors. And the fact... His inflictors really had no right to inflict any more ridicule upon him other than the Lord had brought. And so just as David has sinned against God and brought on his chastisement, his oppressors also sinned by oppressing David and rejoicing in his demise. They were re rejoicing in his downfall. They relished it. Solomon 
wrote in Proverbs 24, when your enemy falls, do not be glad. And when he stumbles, do not let your heart rejoice. Lest Yahweh see it and it be evil in his eyes and he turn his anger away from them. And that's what's happening in Psalm 6. God saw David's oppression. He saw those who were coming against him and he saw it as evil. It says they will not be ashamed. Demonstrates a sense of confusion, guilt, and overwhelming embarrassment when something turns out differently than expected. His enemies will be ashamed. They will be embarrassed. They will be be confused. Because they will be defeated. There will be a chaotic defeat of them as God again adjusts the scales of justice and makes all things right. And so David begins this psalm as he cries over sin and he recognizes the, the, the agony that sin brings upon him. And then he turns to the Lord and he calls and, and calls on God's character to relieve him and to forgive him. And then David, at the end of this psalm, after turning to God and looking at God's character and knowing who God is, now rejoices triumphantly, knowing that God will rescue him, that God will forgive him, that God will restore him. And he ends in this triumphant note. And, O believer, when we are struggling with sin, when we are under God's chastisement, when God seems far away, let us be like David. Let us turn to the only place that we know that can deal with our sin, and that's our Heavenly Father. We can only turn to God and come to Him because He's the one who is bringing it upon us. And we must turn to Him and we can appeal to what? His character, knowing that He will forgive us. And we too, after going through the difficulty and the crying and the darkness that David felt, we too can experience the glorious forgiveness of God because he's a good and loving God. Let us learn to pray when we are in the dark, when we are weeping, when we are depressed, when things are difficult. Let us remember David's prayer and let us pray like David and let us ultimately turn in triumph like David to a good and glorious God who deserves our worship and praise. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we we thank you for this prayer of David. We thank you for this example of how gracious you are. We thank you that we can come to you in prayer, that we can ask what would seem almost irreverent things for you to stop your chastisement. And yet we know as we pray, that we are not praying to some distant God, but a God who loves us, a God who desires for us to praise him, and a God who's compassionate to us. And so I pray that we would be like David, 
that we would trust in you, that we would turn to you, that we would repent and experience the joys of forgiveness, I pray. I pray this in your name and for your glory. Amen.